What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to the final four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Uh, and we are back to preview the second round against OSU. Uh, and OSU comes into this one 18 and 5, uh, 12 and 5 in the conference, seventh in Ken Palm, um, ranked fourth overall. Uh, third in offense and 86th on defense, Rod. We talked a little bit about that in the last podcast. Um, it's, it's an Iowa-esque kind of split, which I would not have guessed on before the season, um, at all. Um, Chris Holtman has been a pretty decent defensive coach over his career and over his time at Ohio State and, it's it's strange seeing them struggle at that end that much. I I don't know. Did you watch the Michigan Ohio State game on Sunday? I no, I didn't catch that. One. Okay, I'm guessing quite a few of our listeners did. And if you watched it, it was a great display of offensive basketball. Both teams. I mean, just shot makes after shot makes after shot makes. It was very impressive. But the reason Ohio State didn't win that game, in my opinion, is when push came to shove. They couldn't get any stops. Michigan could. And if you, if you can't get stops, then that puts increased pressure on you offensively to be perfect. And so what happened was late in the game, Ohio State had a couple of just blown possessions. They had one where they were in a half court set and Stewing tried to go with a behind his back pass to, uh, Liddell on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Liddell didn't know it was coming. So it was a loose ball. Michigan picks it up. They get a conversion bucket uh, on a live ball turnover. It was a, a couple maybe not great shot selection instances. And all of a sudden, Michigan took a very, very tight game and built up a little bit of a working margin and won it. And that's the problem. So Ohio State's really, really, really good offensively. Um, so that's like Iowa. And that's going to be enough to win you a lot of games. Mm-hmm. It's probably not enough to win a championship. And that's what I think it's come down to. Ohio State's not going to win the Big Ten championship. And it's because they just weren't good enough defensively. If they'd even had, you know, Christ, Michigan State's defense is sitting 42nd nationally right now. <laughs> if their defense was at Michigan State's level, I think you'd be talking about a team that was knocking on the door mm-hmm. at the top of the conference. It would be that much of a difference. Um. So very, very good team, but at least on paper, statistically, 
more vulnerable than the one Michigan State just saw last night as we're recording this on Wednesday evening mm-hmm. in Illinois. This is not a balanced team like Illinois or like Michigan. Um, this is a different deal. And just to refresh people's memory, um, the first game Michigan State lost 62-79 to 79, uh, and didn't win any quarter. <laughs> so I think- Yeah, that, that, as, as I think we alluded to at the end of uh, the Illinois postgame, um, that was – I'm not going to say it was a game where Michigan State was ever truly right there, but – because Ohio State had double-digit working margins through most of the second half, but Michigan State was within 10 with three minutes to play. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, the last three minutes, kind of the roof caved in and Ohio State pushed it out to 17 with a mix of free throws and bad possessions by MSU. But if you remember, that was a game where – the first game back from the layoff was Rutgers, and obviously that was just an abomination. That was just yeah. awful in every conceivable way. Ohio State was next, and you definitely saw improvement. It looked like a team that had a couple more days under them than than in the Rutgers game. You know, uh, the offense I thought, as opposed to the Rutgers game where they just generated nothing against Ohio State, and again, that's a poor defense. They got good looks. Michigan State generated really good looks. They, I didn't like the balance. They weren't playing the way they have been recently where they were going inside much. But, I mean, the quality of the jumpers they were getting, they were getting open shots. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't get anything. That was the main problem. And defensively, they weren't great, Michigan State, but they were okay that day. Ohio State didn't run rough shot over them. MSU held them under their three-point Attempts average and percentage makes from three. So they did what they've been doing most of the Big Ten season in that regard. Um, it's just they got hurt inside a little bit, and offensively they just couldn't throw the ball in the ocean. Mm-hmm. That was the problem. Uh, so if you look at their offense, there really isn't a weakness on this not offense. Much. Yeah, not much to find to, to pick at here, but – 46th in effective field goal percentage, um, 36.8 from three, uh, 61 in the country in two point percentage, 77.7% from the line. Yeah, they do all that well. Um, the only thing I guess you could say they're not great and they're not a great offensive rebounding team. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're over the hundred mark. So they're, they're not in the, they're, they're not in the double digits. Um, and, and that's the one thing, but everything else, you know, they draw fouls a decent amount. So they get to the line, they convert. You mentioned the free throw percentage, very good free throw shooting team. Something that's happened since the first time MSU saw them, their three point shooting has improved. When MSU saw them the first time, they were about two, two and a half percent worse than they are now as a team. So that's an area. There's several guys as we go through the lineup where the three-point shooting has improved a bit, in some cases a lot. Liddell, I think, has gone up about 10% as a three-point shooter. That's a big jump yeah. in about whatever it's been, probably about seven games or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a team, they've gotten better there. They've been very consistent from two. You mentioned they're in the, almost to the top 60 nationally. Uh, that's kind of where they were in the first game. So they've been very consistent there. They also don't turn the ball over. I forget where they are. Where they like eleventh? Yeah, yeah. In turnover percentage, so they really just they don't do uh, many things 
in a less than stellar fashion. It's really the offensive rebounding. It's not that that's a disaster. It's just not a strength. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really it. Everything else really is a lot to like. And, and I have to say, um, it's a little bit, I didn't expect this. It's a little bit surprising to me. I thought, I thought this would be a different team and that I thought they'd be quite a bit better defensively than they are. I didn't see this coming offensively. Uh, if you remember last year's Ohio State team, their offensive success was predicated on shooting the three extremely well. But they lost some guys. They lost both of the uh, Wesson brothers who were outstanding three-point shooters. So they were both uh, plus 40% last year. So those were big losses. And I just didn't think that they were going to necessarily – replicate that well they've done that and then some Mm -hmm. just everything's gotten better uh on defense though there's been quite a bit of slippage um yeah you're looking at what last year they were they finished out the year 19th in the country in defense this year they're 86 yeah Uh, it's weird this is not a fran mccaffrey deal where it's like built in the DNA of the program, they're just always going to be variances of shitty mm-hmm. on defense because <laughs> he doesn't coach it, doesn't value it apparently. Um, this is weird because Chris Holtman does value defense, and and his defensive principles are not that far apart from what Tom Izzo values. Now they they don't go about it exactly the same way, but there's there's a lot of similarities. They're not a gambling. He's not a coach that you know, looks to pressure or tries to force a lot of turnovers or anything like that. It's sound position-based defense. They want to, they want you to have to use a lot of the clock and then they want you to end up in a shot you don't want to take. That's the name of the game. Mm. And traditionally, he's been very good at getting guys to play that well. For whatever reason, this group is really struggling. And as I say, that cost them the game against Michigan. You had two offenses that were just clicking, 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 and it was going to come down to who's going to get a stop or who will make mistakes. And man, it's asking a lot. If, if you saw that game, it was just, they were, I saw people compare it to a heavyweight fight. That was not the right comparison. The Michigan State, Ohio State games, when Thad Mata, Thad Mata was there, those were heavyweight fights. Those were physical wars. This was not that. What this was, were teams trading shot making. Mm-hmm. And it was impressive. But but when it just goes back and forth and back and forth like that, then the pressure is constantly on you to not make a mistake. And if if you do make a mistake offensively, boy, you really want to rely on having a defense that you think can just grind out a stop or two, right? Ohio State just couldn't do it when the chips were down. Michigan could. That was the difference. Yeah, so they're uh, 115 overall in effective field goal percentage, 205 against threes, 85 against twos, and they don't block a ton of shots, 121st no. in block percentage. No, it's really, you know, Liddell is an okay shot blocker, and that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's... not great defensive rebounding either, 123. Yeah. Yeah, it's just there's – just as we say on offense, we say there's there's pretty much nothing they don't do well. On defense, there's pretty much nothing they do great. You know, it's it's mediocre or worse in just about every category. And you know, at this point of the season, there's not a lot of indication to think that there's a change coming. You know, a team like Michigan State, 
with all the disruptions they've had and, you know, some changes in, in the way minutes are being allocated of late and all that, you can look at and say, all right, there, there's still some potential that what Michigan State has been is maybe not what they're going to be over the last couple weeks. With Ohio State, I don't think that's the case. They've had a pretty steady, uninterrupted season, and I think we know what they are. So I don't anticipate that there's going to be some great turnaround defensively. I think they're going to have to try to win games by out-executing people on offense. That's really what they are. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll do that against a lot of people. That will be very, very successful. Uh, so we look at the starters. I guess the one note we should make is that Kyle Young's not expected to start uh, or play in this game. Uh, right. Concussion. Yeah. Uh, that's a big loss. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that. I, I'm thinking that must have happened in practice because the one thing we should mention, you know, MSU has the kind of turnaround that it's it's a turnaround like they used to have in the old days. When I first started paying attention to Big Ten basketball back in the Stone Age, um, the way it worked typically was you had games on Thursday and Saturday. So there would be a one-day turnaround between, between games. Um that has gone by the boards long ago. And you, I can't think of an instance before this year in the last 30 years, probably at least, and I might even be conservative with that, that MSU has played two Big Ten games with just one day between them. Well, that's what they're facing now. Ohio State has not played since that Michigan game on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So Ohio State's had the benefit of a few more days of rest. Um, in, in Michigan State's case, I don't think this is a problem. You know, they're in survival mode. I, I I just don't think it makes a lot of difference. We'll see if it makes a difference for Ohio State. But in any event, I don't recall watching that game, seeing Young get hurt. So I'm a, I haven't read what happened. I'm assuming it must have happened in practice with this concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a big loss because he's, you know, they, they, talk, they were talking about it on that broadcast. And anybody who's watched Ohio State the last two, three years, I think, knows this to be true. Kyle Young doesn't put up massive numbers, but he is a key to that team. He is the very definition of a glue guy. He gives them a little bit of scoring punch. He's a, he's either second or third in rebounding. Um, has actually, he's one of the guys that lately has taken his shooting up a notch. Every year I talk about how the thing that separates Kyle Young from being a great four man instead of just a good one, mm. is that he never really developed a three-point shot. Well, he's got himself up into the mid-30s now. He's been on a bit of a hot streak. Um, so he's at least closing out his career doing that. <laughs> so he does all those things. He's just an energy guy. If you watch him, he's the guy who throws his body around. He's he's the guy on that team who you, you point at as most likely to get a critical offensive rebound. Mm. You know, That's just who he is. He's a grit player. You can see why Tom Izzo recruited him. He's a, he's the kind of guy that Tom Ezzo has a real appreciation for. It made sense. Um, and in turn, it makes sense why Chris Holtman recruited him first at Butler and then got him to follow him to Ohio State, which is, you know, Chris Holtman values a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, so that's a loss. I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it. That's an issue for Ohio State to not have him available in this game. Yeah. Uh, so then, They'll be starting Dwayne Washington, um, 6'4 junior, 15.6 points a game, 40 from the floor, 39 from three, eighty nine from the line. 
And he had a huge game against Michigan, 30 points, 5 for 10 from the three-point line. Yeah, he had a career game. Yeah. Career game. And, and, you know, he's a guy we've we've talked about here. I know I've talked about him on the Spartan Mag board for many years. I I always tell this, this story that Dwayne Washington is probably the guy, at least that I'm aware of, who took the most unofficial visits to Michigan State without getting offer of a of a guy that was in that range. Yeah, I mean, there may be local high school kids who have families of season tickets, but you get what I mean. Uh, Dwayne Washington, I I'm not certain of this, but I would be surprised if he didn't visit C twenty games over his sophomore and junior years mm-hmm. in East Lansing. And MSU never came through with the offer. And there were reasons for it. They were, I think they weren't convinced that he was billed as a combo guard at the time. If people, just to remind people, he was Xavier Tillman's high school teammate. Um, and then his senior year, he transferred out west. He's, he's Derek Fisher's nephew, the former Los Angeles Laker. Oh, um, so he, he moved out to Southern California to play his senior year. But his first three years, he played at Grand Rapids Christian with Xavier Tillman. Um, he played in and lost the Class A state championship game X's senior year to, uh, Foster Lawyer, uh, Foster Lawyer's Clarkson team. Um, he was always a great shooter and he was billed as a combo guard. Uh, my understanding was Michigan State wasn't quite certain he was actually that and they were not sold on his athleticism and his want to defensively. At least not as much as they were other guys. In in my view, when you look at the timeline, you know, you look at that 2018 class, which was a big class for Michigan State, four in-state guys, and yet there were two guys who ended up at Big Ten schools from Michigan that Michigan State didn't get. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, three if you count to Julius at Michigan, but he was never an option. One was Dwayne Washington, the other was Trevion Williams. At different points. People expected both of those guys to be MSU players. Williams had an offer, and then it just over time, we've detailed why, I think, on this podcast. It, it didn't happen. They went with Marcus Bainham. In Dwayne Washington's case, you know, Foster Lawyer committed way early, committed before his junior year or maybe right after it started. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't the choice. The choice in my mind really came down ultimately to Dwayne Washington versus Gabe Brown. And Gabe Brown finally got his offer um, in the late spring, I think, of his junior, after his junior year, that last AAU season. He and Dwayne Washington were teammates, both playing for the family. And Gabe got the offer, Washington didn't. Um, Washington ended up obviously getting and accepting an Ohio State offer, and we see what he's become. He's blossomed into a really, really good offensive player. He's having a great year. Um, you mentioned the numbers. You mentioned he's coming off a huge game against Michigan. And obviously, I think, well, I don't, I don't have a lot of recollections of him just absolutely destroying Michigan State. I don't have a memory of him just really coming out and dusting them. You know that his, especially coming into the Breslin, his motivation level is off the charts. You know, this is a game I'm sure that is very, very, very personal to him because he wanted to be a Michigan State player. There's not, I don't think I'm overstepping or exaggerating that. He wanted to play at Michigan State and he didn't get that chance. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for him, he got another great opportunity. He has made the most of it. 
he's been a weapon for them. He's second on their team in assists as well. Um, so he's he's done the job. And though I don't think he's a great individual defender, I think what he's proven is could Michigan State have used him? Could he have played at Michigan State as this kind of player? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. But but again, in that I'll ask you if you had to if you had to do it right now, would you take him over Gabe Brown? Yeah, <laughs> I probably would, but it's not an automatic. And then you have to the real question you got to ask yourself is put yourself back there. And that time when they're making that offer, Gabe Brown has about four inches on him. He's more athletic. He's a lot longer, so he has more defensive potential. He's probably got, you would have, you would say, about the same potential as a shooter. And that's borne out. It's just that Washington shoots a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, you can understand it. You know, I really think you can. He so probably I, wouldn't I have, have gotten hard... as much time, though, as Gabe hasn't having to sit behind, you know, Aaron Henry. Um, Washington wouldn't have? Yeah, probably not. I mean, he well, probably would have got about as, it... about as much as Gabe, maybe. Uh, yeah. Um, his, I think, I think early in his career, that's probably true. He got into heavy minutes right away at Ohio State, where I don't know that he would have as a freshman. Keep in mind that year, MSU at least started the year, um, Josh Langford, um, before he got hurt. Um, then you had Aaron Henry, uh, you had Matt McQuaid. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're probably, he wouldn't have been a starter. He would have been a reserve. I don't think he would have started. There's no way he would have started had Aaron Henry as freshman. Aaron Henry would have played more because Aaron Henry was better defensively. Um, but I think you look at now and you say, wow, well, okay, he might not be a pure point guard, but could Michigan State have used it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I have a hard time calling it a miss knowing what I know about what the decision came down to. You know, people want to say, oh, they could have had Kithier. Well, no, that's not. First of all, Kithier committed way before Washington was ever at the precipice of an offer. And and secondly, it's not positionally uh, the same thing. Same thing with Lawyer. Yeah. Lawyer didn't take a scholarship that could have gone to Dwayne Washington. Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was here, Gabe Brown. And I, I can look back at the time the decision was made and see exactly why Michigan State made it and not really have a problem with it. And, you know, look, as Washington had a more productive career than Gabe, yes. Um, but the final chapter hasn't been written yet on Gabe. And, and I think we're, we're not talking about, you know, the difference between Trevion Williams' career and Marcus Bainham's. It's mm-hmm. a little different equation than that. But anyway, Dwayne Washington is a big, big guy on the Michigan State um, scouting report, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then another one um, on the wing, Justin Arn, 6'5", junior, 6.9 points a game in about 18 minutes, 46 from the floor, still shooting hot, 46 from three, 70 from the line. Uh, and he takes yeah, he's, a bit he's of down days. from – he was at 50% in the first meeting, so he's down slightly, but having a great year shooting the ball. What is it, like 110 out of 113 field goal attempts? Yeah, 107 out of 110. Yeah, 107 yeah. out of 110. I knew it was three. Yeah, that's just so – there's the story. I mean, Justin Arns is not going to do anything else except pull threes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's, you know, he's had kind of an up and down career 
at Ohio State, but this year over his first two seasons. He had that one game his freshman year where he went crazy and scored like 29 or something just out of the blue. And then kind of reverted to not playing a lot. And last year he didn't get a ton of minutes. I think when we talked about him in the preseason, I think this is what we had said was they've got a bunch of guys now at that spot. And if Justin Arns is going to carve out a more consistent role for himself, it's as a shooter and they could use shooting, but can he do the other things well enough to stay on the floor? Well, I'm still not sure how good a defender he is, and he doesn't really do a whole lot else, but, man, he shoots threes. Mm-hmm. And on this team, the way they're playing, obviously the way they're built, their personnel this year, they've got to out-execute you on offense. And so when you've got a guy that can shoot nearly 50% from three, you're going to have minutes for him. That's how it's unfolded. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll probably see C.J. Walker, I would assume, in the starting lineup um, if we – if you think maybe they're going to move Justice Suing um, to the four. I think that's what happens. Kyle Young, yeah. Because Walker's still, even when he, since he's been moved out of the starting lineup, he's still averaging almost 30 minutes a game. And and I just think, you know, especially with Michigan State going smaller these days, I, I would think Holtman's going to look at it and say, well, okay, we we won't get punished if we go small. Mm-hmm. No, and, and the thing is, with Washington and with Orange, you've got six four and six six at the other two guard spots, so you could afford to play. A sm- it's not like you're stuck with two six foot guys, you yeah. know. Uh, and so uh, Walker's nine point one points a game, thirty six from the floor, twenty seven from three, ninety six from the line, uh, and he leads them with eighty assists um, at a two to one ratio. Yeah, he's been playing better of late. I, I felt like. That heading into that first Michigan State game, his shooting numbers were really bad. They're still not spectacular, but they've gotten better since that game. And if you remember, he really hurt MSU. He really hurt MSU, as I recall, and I haven't looked at the stats to refresh my yeah. memory, but just my recollection. Um, he it was him hitting some mid range shots where he was able to use the dribble, use his speed to create some space, and then hit pull up jumpers. And I've seen him do that since then. Um, so his shooting has gotten a little better. That's always been the thing that's held him back. C.J. Walker is a decent defensive player. He's a good floor leader, you know, good enough, certainly, but he just hasn't ever been able to find enough consistency with the jumper. The three-point shot is still not great, but it's better than it was, and as I say, he's also proving to be able to score in other ways now. Mm-hmm. So he's an important guy. He has been all year. Uh, and then Justice Suing, 6'6", uh, junior transfer from Cal, 10 points, uh, 0.3 points a game, 5.7 rebounds, 49 from the floor, 31 from three, 76 uh, from the line. But he has gotten been shooting a little, a little better. Yeah. Gotten a little better with the three since the first time we saw them, and that's big because the thing about that kid is he's he's got other ways to score. He's got a knack for getting to the line. Um, he's strong enough. At six six, he's kind of a. I wouldn't say he's quite as strong as Aaron Henry, but there's some rough similarities in terms of the size and the ability to do things, you know, inside that that maybe you wouldn't be expecting initially upon looking at him mm-hmm. um, or the position he plays. But he's mostly been a wing. I'm going to guess that this is the way Ohio State will go to start, and they'll swing him to the four, figuring that he'll match up with Aaron Henry. 
and that that's a matchup they feel you know reasonably comfortable with from a physical point of view. He's a good player. He maybe hasn't had quite the I, – I thought he might have a level better than this in terms of production because he was really good at Cal. Um, but he's been solid. It's, it's certainly been a big addition for them, even, even if he hasn't played quite as well as I thought he might. Mm. Uh, and then EJ Liddell, 6'8", sophomore, 15.9 points a game, 6.8 rebounds, 51 from the floor, 37 from three, 76 from the line. Uh, and you'd mentioned before the three-point percentage has gone up 10% since yeah. the first uh, MSU game. And he also leads them uh, in blocks. Uh, with a, a little over one a game. Yeah, that's the, he's the only real rim protection they have. Um, he's right now, those numbers are really good. They're not as overwhelming as some other guys. Like if you compare his numbers to Trevion Williams or Trace Jackson Davis, um, you know, or Coburn. So forget Garza. Mm. Um, those other guys are a little more impressive. Than Liddell and the numbers, but I'm telling you, it looks to me like Liddell's heading for a first team all Big Ten choice, and I wouldn't argue with it. He has been the last month or so. Ohio State, I believe, was on a seven game winning streak before they lost that Michigan game. It's like seven or eight. Um, he, he went from being a very good player as a sophomore to something well beyond that. And he is right now, I would say, I would say, other than Garza, he is the toughest cover among Big Ten centers because of that improvement as a shooter. Mm-hmm. He's now added this three-point shot, like, out of nowhere. That was just a development I didn't see coming. In fact, we I remember us talking about it in the preseason, and I had said Caleb Wesson was really good for them last year, but I think they can be better with E.J. Liddell in every area except three-point shooting. Well... He's not shooting as well yet as Wesson did last year. Wesson was a plus 40% guy last year, but it's a lot closer than I ever thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And over the last, say, months, five weeks, he has been that kind of shooter. He has been a 40% plus guy. So that makes him really tough because he's got a really nice low post game. But that was not a huge guy. You know, you compare him to some of the players Michigan State has seen recently, the, the Coburns and the Trevion Williams and the Garzas, where physically they just, and they block out the sun. It's that kind of, that kind of deal. Liddell is not that. He's maybe six, seven, six, eight. Mm-hmm. Strong, but not like, you know, the Coburn, you know, cut out of a, the side of a rock. Kind <laughs> of strong. But he just knows how to play. He just knows how to play the game and um, and is very, very skilled, has been skilled as a post player. You could see it even last year when he was a reserve. He showed flashes of that. This year he's been good on the blocks from the get-go. But now that he's got that three-point game, uh, wow. it's He is a tough, tough cover. And he is the guy. I said Washington is a guy that's definitely high on the Michigan State scouting report. This is the guy who's probably at the top. The problem that he presents, I think, is that we know, and we're going to talk about this in the keys, what's at the top of the MSU defensive keys, limit the threes, right? So normally the plan is, okay, you're going to play their posts kind of straight up, and they'll get what they get as long as you hold down the threes. The trouble with Liddell is, like Garza, 
and unlike any of these other guys we've seen lately, Liddell can also hurt you from out there. Mm-hmm. So it makes it a little tougher. Yeah. MSU's five men are going to have to be really sharp in terms of that. Because he's a weapon from out there now that he was not on the scouting report in the first game. Mm-hmm. That's changed. You've got to account for him now. You can't just let him shoot open threes. And that's hard on five men. You know, you think about Matty Sissoko and, and Marcus Bainham having to chase a guy on the arc. That's that's a tall order. Yeah. Um, and then off the bench, Zed Key may see some more minutes than he's been getting uh, with Kyle Young out. Uh, he's only 13 minutes a game. Uh, six nine freshman, five point eight points a game, three point seven rebounds, sixty three percent from the floor, sixty percent at the line, but been pretty um, inconsistent playing time lately. Yeah, I, I I don't know that I think that he'll see a lot more than that, only because I don't think they like playing he and Liddell together very much. Mm-hmm. When I've watched them, it's been he's in getting he's Liddell a blow for the most part. Okay. Yeah, and so if you're not if you're not going to do that, then, well, you're not sitting Liddell more than you normally do. Plus, I don't know about his conditioning. If he's really ready to play, you know, maybe you'd say, okay, maybe he plays 15 or 16 minutes, but I don't think he's going to jump to 22 okay. in this okay. game. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I, I don't see that. I like his future, though. He's one of those guys, It's an old. he's an old-school throwback kind of five-man, doesn't take threes. Um, runs the floor well, but you put him on the blocks. He's got good wingspan. Um, that allows him to get, get a hook shot off in, on the, on the, in the post. Um, and he's just going to be a very effective player for them, I think, for another three years, probably mm-hmm. after this. Um, as he gets in better condition, gets better shape. Um, and just gains more experience. I think he's going to get better and better. He was not a high-profile recruit. I don't even know if he, if he was a top 150 guy. It was the low end of the top 150 um, from out of New York. And I've already seen enough to believe, like, well, that was wrong. <laughs> he's, he's good enough that, you know, it, for all I know, they could lose E.J. Liddell after this season. I mean, he's had that kind of year. Mm-hmm. that it wouldn't be a total shocker in the current environment to see him go. If that's the case, I'd feel okay about having Zed Key on deck. I think he's been good, but he just I don't think he's really ready physically to or in this game the way it's likely to go to play a much 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 bigger role than he has been. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Uh and then Seth Town, 66 senior transfer from Harvard, uh 4.2 points a game, 1.7 rebounds, 48 from the floor, 36 from 390 uh from the line. In about 10 minutes a game. If there's anybody that I think might see a little more playing time, I would probably lean more toward him. Even though, you know, he's he's only played part of the year coming back from injury, and he's had a, an injury history that is very reminiscent of Josh Langford's. But just in terms of the matchup and in terms of what he can give Ohio State, I just feel like he'd be the guy I'd be more inclined to say, hey, go give us – an extra six or seven minutes in this game as opposed to Key. Mm-hmm. I just think he's a better fit for that than Zed Key is. Um, but we'll see. He's having a decent year efficiency-wise. Not a not a high-volume guy in terms of counting stats, but he's he's played reasonably well. He had 
preseason, I really thought was the X factor that he was so good at Harvard and was a big time recruit too. So it's not a surprise um, that I thought if he was physically back, he could be a guy that could elevate Ohio state into contention. Well, he hasn't been the guy that I thought he might be if things broke the right way, but Ohio state's still been in contention even without that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then you got Musa Jallo, six, six junior, 3.3 points a game, 2.0 rebounds, 49 from the floor, 6% from three, 57 from the line in 14 minutes. Although he did miss the Michigan game with with an injury, yeah, and I don't know if he's likely to play in this one. And that's the thing: if he's healthy, I would say he would be the guy rather than Towns that would suck up a lot of those Kyle Young minutes because he can he could play kind of an undersized four and they can get by with it. Uh, but I just don't know to expect. I don't necessarily expect him to play, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other freshman they have Eugene Brown. Um, six four, just about a point and a half a game, rebound and a half in eight minutes, thirty five, twenty eight, and fifty for him. Yeah, they they like his long term future. You know, they think he can be a better shooter than he's shown thus far. They like him athletically. They think he'd be a good defender. Um, right now, he's a guy that they that when I whenever I watch him, they seem to bring him in at the end of like at the end of the first half. He usually just seems to always get a turn. Mm-hmm. So to me, his role has largely been just eat up some minutes so guys can get a blow and or avoid serious foul trouble. Um, that's kind of where he's been at, but they think he's got a future. Uh, and then Michi uh, Johnson, the six-one freshman who reclassified up in January, um, he's getting six minutes a game, uh, 1.7 points a game, 47 and 60 um, shooting, and only 0 for 2 from the line. Yeah, uh, you know, limited minutes, but important minutes as Jimmy Sotos, who was going to be the backup, has had some injury problems. Um, and the one thing Johnson's done is in limited attempts, he shot the ball away six for 10 on the year from three. Uh, so that's given him a little bit of a spark. Uh, they don't ask a lot of him. It's just basically like one quick turn in each half. Uh, between Walker and, um, Dwayne Washington, I think they feel like they've had that position covered well enough. Um, but he, he will, MSU will probably see him a little bit. Mm. And he is a shooting threat when he's on the floor. Uh, so the keys, Rod, defend the three, number one again. Uh, the first one, uh, first game they were six for 18 for 33%. Yeah, now here's the thing to think about. We we always talk about this. It's two things. It's, yeah, you want to hold them under a percentage, but there's a little bit of a luck factor there. So the number you start with is, are you holding them under the number of attempts they average? Ohio State averages about 23 triple tries a game. So in the first game, MSU, they only took 18. So that would be a positive. And then they also held them a little bit under their percentage. I think at that point in the season, they were like 34, 34.5% as a team, and MSU held them to 33. So it was a little bit under. They're shooting better now than they were, and they're taking a few more than they were at that time. Uh, so it's even more important. I just, I, I, I am to the point that I have unshakable faith in this fact. If Michigan State can do the job in this area defensively, 
they can compete with anybody in the league. So that includes mm. Ohio State. It doesn't mean that it's enough for them to win a game, but they can compete with anybody if they do that. They will be in the game. They won't be run out of the gym the way they have been three or four times this year. Mm. Um, so that, to me, is where the starting point for everything is. Do that first. And they've been very, very consistent with it. You know, the one time they weren't, you have the Iowa game. Other than that, they've been in these games and, and it's followed that they've, they've executed that part of the game plan defensively. It's a challenge against Ohio State because, um, particularly with this, well, even if they'd had Young, but with the lineup they're playing right now, that starting lineup at least, you know, all five guys you've got to account for because Liddell is now a legit weapon. Suing is not a great three-point shooter, but he's good enough. You've got to respect him. And then, you know, the three guards. So you really have to guard this team. Mm-hmm. Um, they can, they've got guys who can hit from a variety of positions. There's not a lot of opportunity. Really, the only time you can really truly relax is if Key's in the game. Whoever's guarding Key probably doesn't have to worry about him taking a three. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you know, they might not all be 50% shooters like Arns, but they're threats. Yeah. Uh, and then the second key, turnovers. Uh, they did a great job against Illinois. Yeah, and it's a similar kind of challenge because like Illinois, Ohio State is not going to apply a ton of ball pressure. They're not going to trap. You know, they're going to play solid positional defense. And so that puts the onus on Michigan State to not make mistakes, to not um, inflict errors upon themselves. Mm-hmm. We can venture a pretty good guess that Ohio State's not likely to make a lot of mistakes of their own. They're number 11 in the country in turnover percentage. Um, so that means there's a little bit of a premium on Michigan State similarly valuing the ball. You don't want to have a big gap in scoring chances. Uh, and then boards. Relatively yeah. even in the first one. Uh, so you'd think without Kyle Young, they should have an advantage here. There, there's that. And then statistically, they're both around the same place in defensive rebounding. Neither one is great. But Michigan State is a little bit better offensively. Michigan State's not – Michigan State standards, but I think they're like 82nd in offensive rebounding rate right now, whereas Ohio State is in the hundreds. So if MSU can even, the ideal thing, the ideal realistic goal to me is Ohio State ends up with a little margin in turnovers, maybe like 11 to 8, something like that. And Michigan State has like a 3 to 4 rebound edge on the offensive boards. Mm-hmm. If they did that, you'd take it because at least it's even, relatively speaking, in terms of scoring attempts. Uh, and then ball to the rim, um, which has been a, a relatively good uh, projection or trajectory um, yeah. for MSU lately. Well, look, two straight games, we've seen MSU put a massive emphasis on getting the ball inside and doing it a variety of ways, doing it with some post-ups, doing it with penetration. Um, you know, the ball screen stuff has gotten them into that. Um, I wish they've run better than they have all year. Uh, it's all worked. And you can make an argument that 
that some of what's going on is a function of this smaller lineup that they've been playing that perhaps because you've got um, those particular guys out on the floor that it's spreading the floor a little bit more, which is creating more room for somebody like Aaron Henry in particular to operate. There may be some truth to that. I, I guess my counter is, I know defenses have had to respect Joey Hauser on the arc, who was playing the four a lot in the more conventional lineups. Mm. And, you know, Joey Hauser's a three-point shooter, too, and teams were certainly guarding him. So I don't think it's quite that simple. I would I would say it's down more to two things than just the lineup. I'll give the lineup a little bit of credit, but I think Aaron Henry has clearly elevated his entire game, and that doesn't just mean – you know, his shooting touch. It's, it's the judgment. It's the decisions. He's not forcing things that aren't there. He's instead kind of surveying and taking what he's given. Mm-hmm. And that is a maturity thing. That's a growth thing that's happened, I think. And then the second thing is in the last two games, Michigan State has had a very different rocket Watts than they've had Jesus since December. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a big, big, big deal. You know, um, and if they get both of those things the rest of the way and they and they keep this emphasis going on getting balls into the lane for scoring chances, hey, they can do real damage. You know, um, we've seen it. We, we've seen them do it against a decent, solid defensive team in Indiana and against a very, very good defensive team in Illinois. Mm-hmm. So. That carries weight with me. I don't think it's flukish, uh, but it has to continue. Uh, and then physicality, which is not something I thought I would be saying uh, <laughs> for most of this season. But, man, they really showed up physically against Illinois. That was the biggest shock. Because it's just not something that's been associated with this team. It's just not something that's been associated with these players to Mm -hmm. date in their careers. But I want to believe that Michigan state found finally its identity. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a masterpiece. If you are a Michigan state basketball fan, because it was, (laughs) it was all the things that Tom Izzo's program has been about, you know, and physicality is a big part of that. Um, this team's fouled a lot all year long, but it's not fouling we're talking about, obviously. You know, mm-hmm. they fouled a lot of people and they haven't been the least bit physical doing it. It's, it's different now. There, there was, and it's both ends too. I mean, Aaron Henry on offense was tremendously physical. I, I've seen, you know, Jim Camperoni had a really good description of it today. He was talking about that lately you're seeing people just bouncing off Aaron Henry. Mm hmm. And that's true. It's a good way of describing it. Aaron Henry is being very physical on offense in the post. You know, he's taking guys down there, getting them into the middle of the lane and doing work. And, and frankly, most guys who try to guard him can't handle it physically. They're not built for it. Hmm. He's going to have the advantage and he's playing to that. So we, we've seen it there. We see it in Josh Langford going and getting 16 rebounds in that game, you know, um, we see it in the way that the team is defending on the perimeter. I think they were physical with Illinois guards. 
You know, they give them a lot of room to breathe. Io DeSumo did not have a fun night. No. You know? <laughs> That's an, that, and that Michigan was before State, he got a two-inch yeah. lump on his nose. Michigan State was physical with him. I mean, even apart from the, the flagrant foul. <laughs> and then you have those. And then you have those guys. Then you have the centers, who I thought, in different ways, all brought some of that. Maddie, in particular, was the most obvious one. Again, I boy, did I see some bad media takes on that play, by the way, as an aside. Just stupid. Pat Forde. Pat Forde needs to stop doing journalism because he's an embittered, burned-out guy who doesn't really seem to like the job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and his takes on Michigan State, and it's not just Michigan State, his takes are generally awful anyway these days. And, and I say this to somebody who used to think he was a pretty decent journalist, mm-hmm. but um, he's been really bad over the last couple of years. And and he was bad again in this one. He was talking about Matty Soko is borderline criminal. This is not what Tom Izzo's program oh, stands okay. for. Like, are you kidding me? Look, as we said last night, the right call, Okay, because intent and all that is not part of it. It's did you make contact in a way that is deemed unsafe? That's it. Whether the intent was there to do it or not. Um, and and that's what happened. And he rightly was called with that foul and they tossed him. I don't have any argument with that. Hmm. But there's a difference between that and saying Maddie Sissoko was going out headhunting. Maddie Sissoko right. was trying to play physically. Yeah. And because he's a young player who doesn't always have it all together, sometimes that that intent might lead to something that is over the line in terms of the contact. That's what happened. Manny Sissoko wasn't going out looking to bury Io Sunmu. Mm-hmm. That wasn't Rick Mahorn. I love Rick Mahorn, but that wasn't Rick Mahorn or Bill Lampier. <laughs> that was a guy trying to bring physicality to the game. He did it. And by the way, the stuff that he got some attention for with Coburn, you also saw some clips surfacing today, which I didn't notice during the game itself. There was a segment where Coburn punched him in the back, just while, while the officials, you know, just during the flow of play, mm-hmm. they, were, they were moving down into into the half court set, Illinois the ball, and Coburn just kind of punched him in the back. Oh, I, did, he, I remember. I think I remember so, that he looked back at the ref. Yeah, exactly. That? That's it. So Soko yeah. looks back with his arms like what? You know, so let's not pretend it went one way. But regardless, that's what Michigan State needs to bring. Now, this Ohio State team is not, I don't think it's on the same level of physics. It's certainly not uh, um, a peak Mata team physically. Those teams were physical with a capital P. You know, the Sullinger group and, and all those guys. They, those were, I was talking about earlier, those were wars, those games against Michigan State. Mm. Um, Holtman has had physical teams. Though. If you think about that first team he had with Bates Diop and Jay Sean Tate, that yeah. group got after you. They were physical, right? And even the last couple of years, they could, at times, they could bring a physicality to it. This team, I don't think is quite that, but they're still physical. They, you know, they were the more physical team in Columbus, mm-hmm. for sure. So once again, I think that's going to be called upon for Michigan State. They need to bring, that needs to become a calling card, the way that they played against Illinois. That needs to become the identity of this group for the rest, however many games they've got to play this year, however it shakes out. They need to bring that kind of physicality to the table, in my opinion. And if they do that, I think we're going to like the results. 
You know, win, lose, or draw, I think you're going to feel like that was a Michigan State basketball team. That was a Tom Izzo basketball team that I'm watching. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been what's been so disconcerting about this this for much of this year is, yes, they've lost blowouts, and that's all obviously horrible. But it's also that it just didn't look at all like what you've been used to for 25 years. Yeah. Right? Well, Tuesday night, that looked familiar to me. <laughs> yeah, that definitely did. Yep. Yeah, that's encouraging for sure. Yeah, it is because for this year and hopefully for them to take it, you know, in the in the next season. Because here's the thing. The, the last two teams, the Cassius Winston teams, were really, really good teams, obviously. And they did some things extremely well. But I don't think those teams were as physical as – most teams under Tom Mizzo have typically been. I think mm-hmm. they won in different ways. Um, they had some physicality. Sure, any team with Xavier Tillman is going to have some of that. But, but I don't think those teams typically – so it's something that maybe has kind of slipped away in the program a little bit in recent years. Mm-hmm. But, man, if, if this group if, – if nothing else comes from this season, then that element of things, the importance of it, and the desire on the part of the players to bring that game in, game out, if that's the only thing that comes out of the end of this season, it's worth it. If they can sustain that going into next year. Because that's program-type stuff. That's Remember, we were talking, I think we've talked about it in previous episodes, how, to me, the biggest thing was, whatever happens the rest of the way, get to the off-season and job one is going to be you need to reestablish some elements of this program's culture. Mm-hmm. Well, that's at the top of the list. Yeah. <laughs> you were <laughs> calling for it, too. I remember one. we yeah. had that discussion, right? Yeah. So this is something that's popped up on occasion. To actually see it happen where you didn't expect it, man, if they can sustain it, that's a big plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's, that's something that's hard to, to switch just switch on. You know, that right. it, it, that's what's so surprising about it. It's not like they just – it was the shooting where all of a sudden the shooting clicks in and you're like, okay. Right. But that's a mental thing. Absolutely. Where, it's a mindset. Where, yes. And then everyone has to do it at the same time. That's what's, yep. what's that's really right. neat about it. It's not going to be successful if it's one guy or two guys. Mm-hmm. It needs to be and, – and it can be expressed in different ways as we were talking about. I thought Michigan State's guards played physically. In that game, they weren't doing it the same way that Matty Sissoko or Marcus Bainham were, but they brought that physical or, or Aaron Henry even. But, you know, mm-hmm. guys like Josh Langford, Rocket Watts, they brought a physical, even A.J. Hogarth in, in limited ways, yeah. brought a physical presence to the table. So if it's a group wide thing and it then becomes part of the team's culture again, it's a program element. Hey. That's, I know what that produces at Michigan State. That produces good things. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this one's uh, ESPN tomorrow, 9 o'clock, uh, number four ranked Ohio State. Any final thoughts heading into this one? This would be another quad one uh, win if they could get it. Well, look, you know, <laughs> I will admit that I did not see this coming for two reasons. Um, one, it was an incredibly difficult gauntlet that Michigan State had in front of them where every single team down the stretch 
you know, these, um, these last seven games, if you go back to Indiana, were teams that at that point were projected to be tournament teams. Cause even Maryland is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so no easy touches. And then the fact that you're dealing with the schedule crunch that means you can't get any we time. You can't get any time. I've, I've said that a lot and I do believe that, mm-hmm. that that's a huge problem, but you also can't deny what's going on. Michigan State has played probably, well, definitely the two best consecutive games. You could argue that maybe the Duke game or the Rutgers game were better than the IU win, but it's debatable. Mm-hmm. Um, the IU game being on the road probably gives it an edge over the Rutgers win, so that's IU or Duke. But clearly last night's game against Illinois is the best game they've played all year. That's beyond a doubt. Yeah. Um, so they've strung this back to back and now they've given themselves an opportunity and that's all, you know, that's all you could ask for given where they were. So they have an opportunity. This is a huge game. Clearly you get another win over a top five ish team. Um, that has implications Mm -hmm. because then you set yourself up and you say, okay, you got four to play. If you split them, if you get Ohio State and you split those last four in any combination, I believe, you've put yourself in the conversation. I'm not saying you definitively put yourself in the field. I would probably think they'd get there and they would probably lock it if they got one Big Ten tournament win. Mm-hmm. But um, you you clearly would put yourself in the conversation for a bid. No question. Yeah. Um. So there's an opportunity. You don't have to get this one, but you'd love to for two reasons. One, it gives you a greater margin for error in these last four. But more importantly, I think it would show evidence of continued momentum because you're, you're going to have to play well to, to win this game. You're going to have to play well to beat Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Michigan State, this Michigan State team does not beat this Ohio State team with a C plus B minus effort. I don't think so. <laughs> no, probably not. So they, it would de facto be they had to play well. Mm-hmm. They played a good game. That's the big thing is that the momentum is there. They're improving. Uh, again, I did not see it coming just because I didn't see how they could do the things that Michigan State traditionally does that result in improvement. But it we're we're starting to see some signs of it happening. Mm-hmm. So right. yeah, big game. That's all you can ask for right now is that you got Michigan State in a game that means something. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to you after the game tomorrow. Until then, the final four is not on the schedule. There are more identity threats than you realize. Even if you monitor your credit, only a little personal info needs to leak out, like your social security number or password, for you to become a victim. LifeLock alerts you to threats you could miss. If your identity is stolen, a dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions, but everyone can save up to 25% off their first year. Go to LifeLock.com aware.